0: and grow the industry around the world. So welcome to the show. And for today's episode, uh, this is actually one that I've been promising people for a little while. Um, So we've got Mike Potts. From Street Drone here, and some of you will remember that I spoke to Mark Preston a little while ago, and I promised a follow-up episode. So, with Mark, um, who's a co-founder of the Street Drone business, we talked about his Formula E exploits, and we deliberately stayed away from Street Drone. And a couple of people have said to me, "Where's that Street Drone episode?" So here it is today, and uh, here's Mike. So great to have you on the show, Mike.
1: Great to be here. Thanks for the invite, Ryan. It's going to be it's going to be fun.
0: Yeah. So if we could start out. Just by finding out a little bit about you and your background and, you know, where you're from and, and how you came to be doing what you're doing now.
1: Sure. Um I'm probably one of the few non-engineers you're gonna have on this on this program, I guess. Um I've listened to a few episodes. They all seem to have doctorates and things and I
2: <laughs> yeah, I,
1: I don't. Um kind of a wannabe engineer in that I, I wanted to study uh, mechanical engineering, but I got to the university and they threw me out after a couple of terms because I, I just wasn't ready or adept enough, so uh, I find myself um, coming at the engineering problem from a really different perspective, uh, and I think that's been really important in in working with Mark uh, on on Street Drone and and developing products and, and understanding of the market and where it's going to go. Yeah, my background um, is is more on the marketing, e-commerce, and digital side of things.
0: So ah, okay.
1: I um, I after uni I. I finished up uh, eventually by Coca Cola at uh, a small travel company called Expedia.
0: Okay. <laughs> and and <Yeah>. I
1: was, <laughs> you may have heard of it. Yeah. yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I was number seven, employee seven in the UK.
2: Oh, so, wow, okay.
1: really, really interesting times. And uh, I realized I mean, I, I've always been surrounded by technology. Um, my dad's an electronics engineer. Um, and I remember him coding on a BBC micro back in the early 80s. I don't know if you remember the BBC micro. It was I a, certainly a do. Yeah, yeah. certainly yeah. do, yeah. Some of your listeners won't. Um,
0: <laughs> yeah, they'd be like, BBC? <laughs> they make TV <laughs> programmes, don't they? <laughs> they do. They do.
1: They also used to uh, uh, kind of um, white label something called an acorn, uh, which was a BBC micro. and my yellow great
0: to- lump of plastic.
1: Oh, yes, with with red bits and pieces, I seem to remember. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: And, and, um, and I remember my dad coming home and coding in machine code the System X telephone exchange, which was the world's first ever digital telephone exchange. He was working on, on that side of things. And I was always fascinated. I was always surrounded by computers. I was always surrounded by the latest stuff. and And that got me really interested in technology, I suppose. And so, you know, landing Expedia, which was uh, an amazing experience, Um, it was part of Microsoft at the time. Uh, We had ridiculous amounts of money to spend. It was absolutely wonderful. But in essence, it's a tech company. It's not a travel company. It was a technology company. And I I learned how exciting, again, um, pioneering technologies are. And I, I think, you know, Mark and Mark and I, share this same passion for incredibly pioneering technologies and, and certainly that's that's the area we've got into. So um, yeah, not an engineer, very different background. Um, and, and Mark and I have known each other for 40 something years now. Uh, and we've always talked about how we could work together but it was impossible because he was in automotive and Formula One and Formula E.
2: Yeah.
1: And I was in e-commerce and digital. Um, now, obviously when you bring those two together, the digitization of the automotive industry Kind of where we're playing now.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's that's oh, really interesting. So it's interesting as well that you you know you mentioned that you started out, you you did actually look at engineering um, yeah. and then kind of went away. So what what actually did you? So sorry, you might have mentioned it and I and I've forgotten. But what did you study?
1: Uh, economics and marketing. Oh dear. <laughs> yeah, I, I know, I know. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and the the reason being, I I, I um I, when I dropped out of my engineering degree. I, um, I, I I was unemployed and I wrote a thousand letters to a thousand different employers. But this was during a recession. Yeah. I was like, what What's a recession? I don't understand why there's no <laughs> jobs. And yeah. so I was I was quite fascinated with how you read the FT and how you understand the economy. So I went and did economics and combined it with marketing.
0: I ah, okay, useful. yeah, very good. And it is um, I mean that. Uh, sorry, so i probably going back. I don't know. I don't, I. I, I <laughs> many years not that long ago but, but you know sort of uh yeah i i said to, I, I said was talking to somebody the other day and i was gonna i had been doing this da, 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 for 18 years or something and i was like i don't actually feel old enough to have been doing this for 18 years but that no, the but any anywho so your anywho. your path wasn't uh kind of you know as as they often aren't it wasn't a linear path by any kind of uh means so engineering decided that wasn't for you then economics, um, and marketing. And then, um, did you say via Coca-Cola, um, as in you worked for them for a bit or you, 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 (laughs) I I
1: worked for them for a bit and, and, uh, it's fascinating sitting in a job interview when you say to Coca-Cola, I don't like (laughs) Coca-Cola and and I I still got the job and I, I, um, I, I, am an entrepreneur, I think really yeah, in my heart, I'm an entrepreneur, um. And and the reason I got the job at Coca Cola because you know the whole world applies for jobs at Coca Cola yeah. is because I, I started my first business in my final year of university uh, here at Oxford Brookes um, and it was a delivery company uh, which um, uh, we've circled okay. kind of back to <laughs> uh, it was a, I mean I'd say a delivery company it was me and a and a white van doing deliveries for the futon company uh, here in Oxford and um, applying my economics and marketing. Uh, theories to a, a proper business, which um, you know, as a, as a third year student at university, it was pretty rare. Coca Cola kind of liked that entrepreneurial aspect and uh, employed me and taught me how to sell stuff, which I've kind of been doing ever since.
0: Well, because it is, for love it or hate it, it is a marketing kind of animal, um, Coca Cola. So they they in engineering, we you know, actually the automotive business in general, we're obviously we're all obsessed about cost and kind of. You know, people tend to work in a way where you, you work out the cost of something and then you add a margin that's what you're going to sell it for. But Coca-Cola have all these brands that they manage to convince us are worth something that cost them nothing to make. You know, the marketing. Absolutely right, yeah. Is, yeah. Uh, it's yeah, yeah. sort of Jedi mind tricks. Um, they they have
1: these, uh, these wonderful ways of describing, even to their workforce, how people should feel about the product. Uh, one of the ones I remember is that coca-cola should always be within an arm's reach of desire how about that for uh, uh i mean you know you start off with that wish and and then you understand distribution <laughs> you understand branding you understand, it, it's quite a it's quite a brilliant machine that
0: yeah absolutely it's uh something um something else so so then Expedia, high high performance tech world so um you, you mentioned Expedia was part of microsoft at that point is that was that right yeah, uh, when I when I started off, yeah,
1: uh, we were in MSN's building in London. Um, we we were floated actually. Um, I didn't not know that. Not too long after that. Yeah. So, it, so,
0: but it's actually owned by Microsoft, or, or
1: it was it was kicked off by a guy called Rich Barton, who, who I, I knew quite well, and, and um, he he kind of went to to the hierarchy at, at Microsoft and said, "I've got this great idea. Yeah, we're doing Encarta." on CDs why don't we sell travel on CDs and they thought interesting um but by the time they got their business plans ready the internet kind of started to be a thing and they and they realized that that, that there was a, a, an incredible opportunity market opportunity there to to yeah uh, really bring transparency to the to the travel market it, it used to be really complicated to book travel yeah. and now it's really ridiculously easy and, and Expedia were a pioneer um, it was a fascinating time to be part of that organization. Uh, I, I'll give you one example, uh, which is, is, this is very rare in the, in the business world, um, for every pound we got to spend on marketing for every pound we got to spend on marketing. We had to earn a pound in revenue. Now, bearing in mind that we were working in an industry where the net margins are 2%, 3%, if you're selling an airline ticket, um, okay. the return investments, what you know. Minus 97%. So uh, it, it, it was quite a tremendous time to be involved in, in something like that. And obviously Expedia has gone on to become an, an incredible company, but biggest seller of travel in the world. And, and it was was uh, was it was fantastic. I was involved in setting up um, various things, their affiliate program in the UK, uh, white label hotel program in the UK. And then I, I set up Expedia in Italy, uh, Sweden, and the Netherlands.
2: Wow. Okay. Um,
1: yeah, so that that was I uh, was an incredibly interesting experience. And actually, I was in Italy last week, watching the Champions League final. And Expedia are now the main sponsor for the Champions League since Gazprom got kicked out. Yeah. And so at half time, up comes Champions League and Expedia.it all over the all over the screen. It was kind of a wow. I set that up. That's amazing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was a bit of a
0: moment. I, you know what? I, I obviously I've, I mean I've used like I've used Expedia etc. I did I did not realize that it had been like an intrapreneur project um coming out of microsoft i I just assumed it had been sort of independently founded and uh and and gone from there that's and and actually that's really again an interesting terms like a not linear journey where they were they originally started to do one thing the market changed around them and then they had a little pivot and ended up doing something else that's uh and and and, and Ek, do they do they do it with travel? That's uh, it's become an absolute uh, beast of a thing.
1: It has, and you needed. I mean, now you couldn't compete; would be impossible to compete with the with the big online travel companies. Um, back then, you already needed really deep pockets. Uh, and, you know, the likes of Lastminute.com and e-bookers in the UK, um, they they're not big anymore. Uh, compared to you know the likes of Expedia and Booking.com uh, yeah, as as well. So
0: yeah, oh, fascinating,
1: interesting market.
0: Yeah, yeah well, and very f- fascinating place to uh, sort of cut your teeth. Um, yeah. pre- presuming you had some left after you'd been at. Uh, Co- oh, I shouldn't say that. Shall so I get sued? Uh, can't can't say <laughs> things like that. It's good for you. It's good for your health.
1: Uh, mm. The elixir of life. <laughs> uh, no, you probably no. can't say that. either.
0: <laughs> no, no, are <laughs> a disclaimer. Uh, so that kind of jogging it on a little bit, um, yeah. to, to the present day. So you, you are the founder, um, and CEO of Street Drone. Um, so tell us a bit about what, uh, what Street Drone is, is up to.
1: So we were bored out of various conversations that Mark Preston and I had, uh, over the years. And we, we came across an opportunity to, to spec a vehicle platform for a, local uh, AV company uh, because they had all the software engineers, but they didn't have any automotive background. And and so in order to drive safely on the road or anywhere else, you obviously need a fair bit of automotive um, control of the vehicle, uh, including the, the way that you put a functional safety case together, including the way that you um, you, you turn the steering wheel and actuate the brakes and, and everything like that. And,
2: yeah,
1: and, um, between Mark and uh, and a guy called Ian Murphy, who uh, again ex Formula One, ex Formula E guy, um, we we decided that the first thing we would do is build the picks and shovels for the market. You couldn't go and buy a a, a test platform for for, for uh, autonomous. Yeah. Um, and so uh, obviously this is not a, a visual thing that we're here at the moment, but behind me is a picture of Mark and I next to our first. Vehicle.
0: Um, I can just about see it um, on the wall there. Yeah, yeah, that's uh,
1: that's Arnold. Arnold's a a Renault Twizy that we 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 adapted to be ready for for the autonomous development uh, space.
0: Uh, I absolutely love the Renault Twizy. Like, It it, it just, um, I really want one, and my wife thinks I'm absolutely (laughs) insane. Like to the point where she's like, "If you get one, you're not driving it on the road." but I absolutely love it. I will it.
1: build you an autonomous one and then you won't have to drive it. Yeah, yeah that would be a good work line. wouldn't yeah. it?
0: I wasn't driving. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but um, no, I just, it's such a, and I, the the electric uh, uh, motor controller is a, a product from the, the northeast of England. The good old uh, Sevcon team, uh, when it was Sevcon, now part of Turntide. Um, but but what a, I mean, what a, Funny car for the UK, like in terms of as a a car, but when you're overseas and you see them, you know, in slightly warmer places where you don't have to worry about snow and rain and stuff, then, but as a delivery platform, um, or an autonomous, sorry, I'm jumping one a bit ahead here, aren't I? (laughs) You are. Yeah. So as an autonomous test platform, actually that it's quite small, quite easy to work with electric so it's sort of
1: it's uh yeah, it's kind of easy to work with uh, obviously you're, you're a bit restricted for space in terms <laughs> of the fact you know that that vehicle we actually you know, we actuate the steering we actuate the brakes we um we uh, okay the, the throttle electronics so that's okay but uh it, it it's quite a it's quite a packaging effort it's good to have f1 engineering around uh because it's a packaging effort um and it's you know we, we're good at rapid prototyping of, of, of things like that and, and the great thing with twizy is it's, it's a pretty dumb car it doesn't have any electric overlords it has no adas systems so, yeah. so you know we'd have to worry about that we, we simply overlaid a, a drive-by-wire system applied our um our functional safety to it uh, applied a, a, a driver interface a, a safety driver interface to it um, and then allowed our customers to, to plug in their computers and, and AV stack and start testing. Our first customer um, was Wave, who obviously a, a pretty well-funded, or now pretty well-funded uh, um, RoboTaxi, I think they've gone on RoboTaxi actually in, Robotaxi? in the US now.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Um, so and when, then the first time, yeah. This is quite,
0: quite a while ago, isn't it? So This is a while ago. Yeah, when, when was this? 2018? I think we
1: sold that first first vehicle, uh, and, and there's some brilliant videos of, of them using their reinforcement learning uh, um, algorithms on, on, on our first commercial Twizy, uh, and, and that's the vehicle they used to, to test the stuff that they have done in simulation, and you know, they're a very smart bunch of engineers, mm-hmm. uh, and it nearly brought tears to my eyes the first time I saw it. I mean, it was exactly what we'd intended it to be, the picks and shovels for the industry to try and get people actually out there doing testing in the real world and it and it worked and it, it was just fantastic
0: yeah and then but then there's there's been a little pivot in the business model <laughs>
1: a development let's call it a development shall we Right. yeah uh, yes there has I think you know we, we've still got the advanced engineering side of the business which uh, continues to sell platforms like the twizy we've got an inb 200 which we convert with we, we we've got other things that we we add our tech to. So drive-by-wire systems, all the sensor um installations and extra battery power and, and battery management and all, all sorts of things for those vehicles. Um we also have an open source version of our A V stack that we, we license as well. So you know we 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 do continue to provide um engineering teams and and test beds and universities with, with engineering uh, products. But we realize that our longer-term ambitions are um perhaps more uh, market oriented than that and and the thing we've always believed that you know ever since day 1 was it's really important to get this stuff out the door um you know it, 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 when we started in 2017 everybody thought there'd be robo taxis everywhere in 2020 we never did we thought that was a, a big old step but we do understand we do realize that the value of autonomy to the world could be great yeah it's just we need to walk, crawl and walk before you run. And, um, you know, the, having an ambition to, to, for the first things to be on the road, to be high speed in complex environments, doesn't make too much sense from that perspective. So yeah, we've always looked at low speed control environments as the, as, as the stepping stone to anything else. And, and, um, you know, we, we, as, as we've developed our technologies, we've, we've become, uh, more ready to, to address some of those markets and the market that's, For us, easiest to go for, easiest to understand, is um, is the first mile. It's the it's it's off highway, low speed work within ports and industrial settings, and um, uh, and even even retail distribution centres where retails and and we all know the supply chain issues that are around at the moment, which aren't going away. we all know that there's, there's pressure on companies to switch to, to EVs and there's pressure on companies to, to automate. Uh, and uh, in retail especially, if you go into a retail uh, distribution center like an Amazon, it's 100% automated inside or nearly. Yeah. And you step outside and it's full of diesel shunters with, with old blokes smoking fags. And uh, the, <laughs> the difference is, is incredible. So there's this incredible opportunity to start automating that part of of the business as a stepping stone to to perhaps last mile deliveries which which will come further down the road and which are you know be for me much more valuable than than autonomizing your, your BMW parts in your drive.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's um yeah, often the big headlines are sort of autonomous cars um but really the 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 sort of business cases around the p- p- private car is sort of not overly there it's 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 no. uh it, commercial uses so taxis yes you know that sort of thing yeah. if you can make that fly but um there's so many commercial applications where um where you know heavy duty trucks or, or some sort of uh, vehicle is used i mean even th- you know moving dustbins around shopping malls and stuff like that that's sort of back functions uh del- delivering uh, material inside a large shop shopping complex and, and things like that. its uh, There's there's all, all these kind of functions that people don't really see, like the general public doesn't see that sort of thing, the number of vehicles that operate inside a port or a distribution center or something like that. You know, thousands and thousands and thousands of vehicles actually not on the yeah. road.
2: There's
1: 100,000 terminal tractors, and terminal tractors are these uh, shunter vehicles that move trailers around yeah. in, on private roads. 100,000 of them in the world. That's a lot. Um, yeah. It's not so much that Toyota and Volvo are particularly interested in the market, but it's its its a lot for an autonomous business at the moment. And and if you go last mile, wow, uh, it, it, it's an incredibly uh, interesting market. And as you say, when you start applying autonomous technologies to services, you get a lot more util- utility for consumers and businesses than you ever do if you start applying them to products like passenger vehicles it makes a lot less sense you know? I don't know how much utility I'm going to get from 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 a from an autonomous beamer to be honest but I I do know that I'll get a lot of utility from taking a load of vans off the road and replacing them with slow moving electric autonomous vehicles that do my hyper local deliveries and and you know that will be important
0: yeah I, th- I I mean I can on the passenger side it is it's sort of there are are certain use cases like Longer distance driving, for example, I I I think when it does eventually sort of become fairly commonplace, I I always so things like HS2. I, I'm quite a few people know that I've got this view that HS2 will be obsolete by the time it's finished, and I, and I think that's largely because the way we travel will have changed. And you know, I I don't really um, mind. Pe- pe- people say people value speed, but I'm not actually sure we do. I think we value convenience, and if. Um, if I could do something else while I was getting from my door in Northumberland to the office in Oxford, um, you know, if it took, well, even if it took the same time, but if it took 10 minutes longer, um, but that I could use that time usefully, then I probably would go for the easier, you know, door to door method rather than the one with all the the risk of missing connections and, uh, having to sort of, um, you know, be with other people in the public and stuff. You know, all that kind of thing. So, um, not not even to mention when we start to get into other forms of transport, like you know, things with wheels. But what about stuff that flies around uh, autonomously yes. and moving from place to place? So, um, yeah, that that sort of thing. And then right at the other end, we've got quite a lot of people who don't really like driving or can't drive for some medical reason or some impairment. And you know, a lot of um, like moving people around. Elderly people, or I mean, even young people, kids and stuff. Like, it's really difficult. Um, you know, they've got to be chaperoned and things like that. If there's a, an adult driver, um, well, obviously there is an adult driver. Not going to get a five-year-old to uh, drive your granny to the hospital. But you know, this sort of it's it's really an efficient system um, on that side. Where if if you could you could do that much more uh, effectively, and it if if it took ten minutes longer, it wouldn't really make a difference because you'd be sort of taking. Um, sort of people, lots of people out of the equation, and even if the vehicle's still driving autonomously, but you still had a chaperone, you know, for for the kids or the you know the old people or whatever. That, but uh, yeah, so so passenger vehicles is a thing, but but um, actually, commercial vehicles is an even bigger thing, and and the interesting dynamic at the moment, which um, we're sort of aware of now, increasingly so, is uh, and, and and it's easy actually. A lot of people I think think this is a British problem because of, dare I say, Brexit and, and all the rest of it. But but we've got pretty much a, a worldwide skills shortage uh, at the moment, in certainly in the Western world, um, which has been driven by a shrinking workforce. I think um, I'm sort of demographically correct to say that, that basically as a society, we've got this problem. We're all living longer, but we're retiring, uh, and actually in, in retiring and then the the workforce of people who are available to do stuff is getting smaller and smaller so our demand for people to do stuff is getting bigger <laughs> because the population's not shrinking but actually the workforce is shrinking which is uh yeah. it's causing problems absolutely everywhere and you don't have to look far you know like there was something on the news this morning about airports and obviously it's to holidays at the moment people are going away and it looks like absolute chaos in the airports and they're basically, the basically, airports are saying it's because of staff shortages we've got you know shortages of truck drivers we've got shortages of train drivers and, and and you know hospitality staff bar workers restaurant staff I mean engineers and scientists have been in short supply for a while so we're kind of used to that but yeah, um you know the the every single sector sector of, uh, of of industry is uh, is suffering and i, I think it's something like 1.3 million open job vacancies in the uk at the moment um
1: uh, and more more vacancies for <clears throat> our unemployed people um for, yep. the, for the first time ever yeah uh and we normally run pretty close to theoretical zero unemployment so it's gone it's gone crazy um no you're absolutely right i i, I actually uh in the supply chain in terms of um, you know the, the complete mess that, that that uh getting things on shelves or to people's front doors is at the moment compared to what it was pre, pre-pandemic. Um it's been largely driven by convenience. We we um we, we have investment from Wilco, the high street retailer, and um we know that their CEO very well, Jerome St. Mark. And he he came to an event we did in Lisbon recently and, and I asked him to talk about the challenges in um in, in in the retail sector, and he said, "Look, this. Yes, there is a problem with the supply chain. There is a problem with the shortage of truck drivers. Um, but the the problems wouldn't have existed necessarily so badly 15 years ago because things would have just been slower, and no one really cared. But convenience, this desperation for convenience, is not going to go away. You know, it used to be the case you could get away with five day deliveries, and then it was two, then it was one, then it was same day, and." Um, the amount of strain just that requirement puts onto, to the i don't know what you'd call the whole chain, but deliveries generally logistics delivery shipping yeah, logistics
2: trade. chain yeah yeah, yeah
1: it is is just it's quite insane and yeah. you know he's he he's been telling us some stories about this this environment which which uh, you know he said i've never seen anything like it um and and the other side so so there's this desperate efficiency need from an operational perspective just to just to get stuff to people, yep. much more quickly and much more efficiently. And then there's the energy efficiency need, which has been obviously exploded by events in in Ukraine, and yeah, Russia, yeah. Um, but but which is also linked to to the environmental requirement as well. So ESG plus energy efficiency equals you know a desperation to to switch to electric and and clean. Um, which again, autonomy really enables. So you know, it, it, it's a difficult decision sometimes. I, I, we've been looking at total cost of ownership of diesel uh, shunter vehicles in yards compared to electric. Yeah. And this, there is absolutely no economic reason that you would swap one for the other, given that diesel shunter vehicles last for. 15 to 20 years, you, you know, you send them back to the workshop and refurb them every five years, but pretty much they'll last forever. They're made out of you know eight inch, uh, eight millimeter steel and, <laughs> yeah. um, they, they can go through walls, but, um, sometimes do, yeah. <laughs> and, and sometimes do or we'll get dropped into, you know, rivers and things and just get dragged out and refurb painted a bit in order to, for businesses to make the decision to switch to EVs, you're going to have to add a load of value to that. Yeah. And, and, and the great thing with autonomy. Uh, on EVs, the great thing with connected uh, applications on EVs is suddenly you've ad- added enough data and enough service to those vehicles to make that decision really quite easy. So mm. I think there's, there's so much here in this market, which drives, you know, autonomy should drive incredible efficiency as well as safety uh, should drive energy efficiency. Yeah. Um, and and there's just really good reasons why the, this, this market needs this kind of technology.
0: Now, I remember having a discussion quite a long time ago with a uh, really really smart guy from uh, Volvo actually Volvo construction and he had this in fact I think I think I remember we got to the bottom of this I'd heard him say this and I thought it was his catchphrase and it turned out it wasn't it was someone else's but it was one they used anyway the, the catchphrase was uh, replacing elephants with ants okay <laughs> okay a mine site, for example, basically, you know, the principle there is one of the biggest operating costs that a mine will have is people. So the reason why the equipment is all massive is because it's driven by a guy and you want to make it move as much material as possible per man hour, basically, or uh, sorry, person hour that you've got available. But if you, uh, and, and actually, by the way, the elephants can be quite difficult to electrify because they're massive. So they need big everything. But if you automate yeah. them, then you don't need to. Um, they don't need to be massive anymore. They can be quite small, so they replace these huge trucks with much smaller trucks, which are much easier to electrify, more sensible size batteries and drive lines and things. And and actually, um, you can do more electrification sort of with that. But in in that context, they had the sort of ability to shrink the size of the thing they were they were moving. Um, obviously, a, a a, sh- a truck, a, like a, a shunter truck, on in a in a port or a warehousing uh, environment is moving. Typically, a TU, um, container, standardised unit of twenty foot or forty foot or whatever in length. And the the actual sort of thing you're moving, if you're doing first mile, is you can't change it, can you? Because it's it's going in to the rest of the logistics chain, so you can't stop. Because in theory. Actually, if we were having automated trucks, instead of massive containers, we'd use smaller containers and we'd fill them better. And you know, and actually, we'd we'd send four small containers off on autonomous trucks on the road to places instead of one massive container that stopped four times and that that (laughs) etc. You know. Yes. So anyway, I'm rambling now. But you're you're you can't change the size of the container, basically. No,
1: you can't. But I I had a bit of a a moment um, not long ago at Heathrow Airport. and uh, I, was, I was in a plane getting pushed back. Um, it must have been after the pandemic, obviously. I was probably wearing a mask. Uh, and and I, I looked out the window as we got pushed back, and, and the, 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 the plane stopped. And I knew that they were unhitching the, the truck that just pushed it out. And I looked out the window expecting to see a big, fat diesel shunter. And what I saw was a really small skateboard, electric, being remotely operated by a guy standing next to it. Yeah. And And I realized, wow, I mean, you know, electric delivers incredible torque. You can push an aircraft. You don't need a huge diesel truck anymore. Uh, And whoever's making those diesel trucks is now screwed, right? Um, You know, there is no way in the world that any big airport is going to have big diesel trucks in five years' time, maybe 10. They're all going to be small vehicles that you can store much more readily um you could potentially remote control them from from remote locations as well you don't need to have a, a person there you do have to have a person there at the moment because you have to unclip them and, and and everything else but those jobs will become more automated as as, as time goes on so i, I think yeah. you know in in the in the shunting stuff around yards and and ports there is an opportunity for sure to move to you know, smaller cabless electric uh vehicles that are very well incredibly well packaged um that are incredibly well connected, that, that run on a you know, completely different layer, layer of, of applications and, and provide a lot more data to businesses. And you know, ports are incredible places, and the more automated they become, actually, it's all about locating where that particular
2: yeah.
1: um, crate is, and you know, and it's halfway down the stack, and you needed it yesterday, and, and you know, more data, the better.
0: Yeah. Uh, I'm probably, I just had a thought, and I'm, I'm maybe about to make myself really unpopular, but... Uh, <laughs> Or uh, even more unpopular, I probably should say. But the uh, you you mentioned like the sort of the shunter trucks that exist today, these terminal tractors, they are made out of substantial material, and it's because uh. they get driven through walls, off the sides of harbors. You know, they get bashed and dinged around, so they are literally like made out of girders and eight mil plate steel and and whatnot. But be, basically, because they're being driven very quickly. Um, in tight operating spaces by a person um, who's not actually that bothered if he bangs into something or not. Um, is is it then... So going to an, an autonomous or a semi-autonomous operation for that kind of thing, actually... So you can basically change the sort of constructs of the whole machine because it you, you, you're taking the... Potentially that sort of human element out of the equation. So you can build... You, you're not... They're almost built on the assumption that they're going to be crashed into stuff, and therefore need to be resilient. Where you could actually build something on the assumption that it was never going to crash into anything, um, and could be a completely different kind of uh, vehicle. If, if...
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, to to an extent, I, mean, I, I I let I think I think you know companies like ours, we're a technology company, uh, and maybe a full stack technology company, and we understand automotive, but we don't understand trucks, and we we don't understand yards yet. Um, we've got a truck running at, at, at Nissan's uh, factory up in Sunderland, as, as you know, and yeah.
2: um,
1: that's been an incredible learning experience. But we don't understand um, this world like like someone like Turberg, who uh, an OEM in the space, do uh, for sure. So yes, we think that's probably the case. We think that you know, let, let's assume they're not going to crash. Um, <laughs> let's assume that that, that the uh, environments are adapted for full automation in the future. Um, Obviously, we you know, in the past we've we've certainly had the challenge of you know, Are you taking away people's jobs? No, I think we're transitioning people's jobs. Um, these the, the automation is not going to happen tomorrow, not at all. And um, yeah. you know the, the average the average HGV class class one HGV driver is fifty five in the UK. So it's um, you know it, th- there is an opportunity to transition the, the workforce into into more tech. Um, uh, focused positions, and um, and certainly humans will be part of this process for for the foreseeable future. And I, you know, I, I uh, and obviously that conversation has gone away rather as the supply chains become more squeezed.
0: It's sort of evidently happening, you know, just around us. So hence the yeah. the recruitment yeah. issues and things. If there was, exactly. Uh, exactly. if if maybe if the economics were different and we had um, we didn't have so many job vacancies, and you know, but but, but then the economics would change. So. I would imagine for you at the moment, more and more people are interested in investing in automating stuff because they can see firsthand the problem. You know, five years ago, 10 years ago, we were talking about this sort of thing, but it was a bit more abstract, you know, if this problem is coming. And it's like, yeah, 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 that'll be someone else. Actually, they'll probably think, I'll be retired by then. So it's not like, oh, yeah. my problem. <laughs> but then uh, now actually we are like, well, the problem is here and it's only going to get worse. So it's not... You know, it's not a temporary blip. This is actually a, a, a real problem that's with us, with the shrinking workforce and um, yep. and all these skill shortages. So, so are people more in more interested in investing?
1: Um, I think investment's hard to come by um, for sure. I think it's an interesting area, and and uh, actually we, you know, we we're talking to investors at the moment about about a Series A, but it's. Um, Sorry, uh, yes. when
0: I mean investing, I don't just mean investing like that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. as in someone like a Wilco or a, a Nissan or whoever so I, I think, putting in yeah. industrial. In
1: terms of, yeah. Um,
0: proper investment, not the vultures.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Um, I mean, there's, there's some vultures which are hanging around. Uh, there's been a generally an open door, honestly, talking to especially retailers where convenience is... Just absolutely paramount now. So the big, the world's big retailers, when you say we've got an autonomous shunter vehicle that, that in in a couple of years could replace the the, the manually driven diesel vehicles, there, incredibly excited about the opportunities. And you know, one one large retailer said to us the other day, we know this is the next big opportunity to to make the business more efficient. I, I know, and for that particular retailer, the drive to to deliver stuff on day zero is is just absolutely paramount. And how do you do that? You make the whole system more efficient. And and you, you, your your system is only as efficient as its weakest point of efficiency. And, and if that's a you know um, a, a, a missed delivery because Bob had COVID and and um, you know, the, the the truck couldn't be started, that's a big 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 problem that needs solving. So yeah, uh, there's there's absolutely been interest. Um, Investment-wise, you know, are people willing to put money behind it yet? Uh, yes and no. Um, because this is not commercially available yet, anywhere. Yeah. Um, it's not that it's something that, um, that is anything more than a, a proof of concept at the moment. And yes, retailers and ports and the like want to have a front-row seat. They want to understand what this could do for them in the future. But it's not that they're going to save a couple of hundred thousand every time they replace a diesel, you know, manly-driven vehicle with an electric, autonomous one. At the moment, that's that's a few years off. Um, hopefully, only a few years off. And and that depends on the other kind of investment, which is uh, which, which is which is also really necessary. Of course, um, we're, we're making expensive technology, and and uh, that's quite hard. And um, we have some really expensive and absolutely brilliant engineers that that help us get there. Um, uh, so the two are two linked to a certain extent.
0: Yeah. So so in a in a, in a sort of nutshell, with Street Drone, you've got effectively you've got your advanced engineering part of the business. So you're doing stuff for others. So people who are experimenting or or developing autonomous um, yep. platforms themselves, and then you've got your um, sort of logistics, product creation. Would you? Or what what would you? I, I think it's
1: it's a it's a proof of concept at the moment. I, 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 it, it's an interesting conundrum for talking to people because they go, "Well, hang, hang on, hang on. You're providing all your technology to other people, yeah. but couldn't they become competitors? Look outside, <laughs> go and look outside. Is there a, is there a market yet? Um, there's very little market. We need to, we need to get there faster. Right? Uh, if we don't all get there faster, none of us has really got a business in the end. So um, I'm really helped. Uh, I really, I, I really hope we can help other people get there faster. We, we already have, um, so that the, the business is about working with partners, and and some of our customers are partners as well, and, and you know, also accelerating the education of, of the next generation of engineers that are going to come into the space. Um, it is a it's it's a real advantage to have uh, incredible relationships with ten plus universities in the world that have got our vehicles. And um you know, run their autonomous development around it. And uh you know those, those vehicles are exactly the same ones as we sell to others. So um there's a there's a bunch of engineers in this building now that that uh that came as a result of them using our vehicle platforms elsewhere in their university studies. Um so there's there's a lot of advantages to working in this way, I think.
0: Lots of people who love Arnold.
1: Lots of people who love Arnold. That that thing. Arnold's been all over the world. Uh <laughs> We haven't mentioned Arnold, have we? I don't think whilst we've been recording.
0: Yeah, um, uh, I think we, I thought we did. did we? Yeah, okay. <laughs> I can't remember. Yeah, no, we did. The picture on yeah, the wall. We did, yeah, we did. yeah. The picture yeah.
1: on the wall behind me. It's Arnold. Arnold has been too. Arnold's the best travel thing in the world. So, uh, um, it it started off at Munich at the Nvidia. Um, I can't remember what exactly what the conference is called. An Nvidia conference in, in Munich. Uh, it's been to Japan to uh, the Japanese auto show. It's been to CES. It's been to another show in Los Angeles. Um, There's a, you may know, there's a New Year's Day parade in London. Uh, Uh It led the New Year's Day parade in London. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's quite a a well-known fellow, Arnold.
0: What does Um, Arnold stand for? I'm trying to like...
1: Nothing. I don't (laughs) know even where the name came from. Autonomous research. No, but you can Um, make one up if you want. Okay, just Arnold. (laughs) (laughs) It's just Arnold. He's just Arnold. He will always be just Arnold. He's not here at the moment. He's in Portugal.
0: Uh, Okay. So, and then, so the project that you're running up in the Northeast, it's a really interesting project where you're running one of these shunters. It's an electric shunter, it's operating on the, so the Nissan car plant, which is a massive, massive car plant, but then has all these suppliers yeah. around it and the truck is, is working on that site. Um, yeah. how's that going? Like it's, it, are you up and running now? Is it actually like making deliveries and stuff or,
1: um, hasn't made a delivery yet, but it will make in the next couple of weeks. We, we finished the project, uh, in, in two weeks time, um, by which time it will have made some deliveries um autonomous deliveries okay uh it's been it's gone incredibly well it's it's been hard uh i won't i won't lie about it it's not it's not been the easiest thing in the world and and part part of that is to do the fact that um it's very much a full stack and integrated solution that we've had to build so we've never done a truck before they're very different from you know any passenger vehicle
2: yeah so
1: uh just doing pneumatics and and um and the like has been a, a difficult challenge a different challenge so overlaying our drive-by-wire system on a on a truck is obviously very different to anything else um, we've we've got to um a uh, initial level four version of the system as well so um the vehicle now uh if, if if it detects an error it will stop on its own um it'll it'll hold its bearing so that um it, it, it avoids any kind of uh, risk to um, surrounding, uh, pedestrians or vehicles.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, we've built a, uh, a, functionally safe teleoperation station as well. Uh, so no teleoperating using uh, PlayStation steering wheels, which I still see far too much in this world and it scares the living, the GBs out of me. Yeah.
2: Um,
1: you know that that's not automotive <laughs> functional safety. Yeah. Um, so we've had to develop quite a lot of, of of new technology around the implementation of a safe teleoperation system. As well.
0: uh, so so that's an important point, actually, isn't it? With that truck and that system, it's it's autonomous, but then you you do have a, a sort of remote operating possibility with it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So there's a couple of um, both because we wanted to see what the challenge was like. But also because you know there, there is a limitation to the maturity of the the AV stack, um, you know, and and it, in every everybody's circumstances a limitation to the technology. And if it, if the vehicle comes across a situation that it doesn't understand or or um, or there's an error, then the vehicle will stop and um, it can be taken over by a remote driver. There's also a couple of occasions up there where there's um, priority junctions which are not very clear, and. Uh, so we, we're experimenting with kind of a no go, no go signal that comes from a, uh, from a teleoperator. Um, there's also two occasions where it has to back, a, an articulated, this is articulated truck. Um, so it has to back into a delivery bay. Uh, now doing that manually, have you ever tried it, right? You ever tried back in a trailer into a
0: delivery bay uh yeah well i grew up have you yeah my my family wow. had a haulage business i'm the wrong person to ask. <laughs> okay. l- okay. literally the first thing i ever drove when i was a kid i think it was a volvo f10 tractor unit and i was probably about probably nine <laughs> wow. So, wow yeah um <laughs> i remember it now my dad <laughs> screaming at me um and, and loading yeah, me... yeah but it's difficult actually it, i think it's, it's easy hard. to underestimate actually how hard it is to drive a yeah. truck and i guess um the sen- sensing on the rear i i hadn't actually hadn't really thought about that when you're reversing onto a bay oh boy so yeah. it's, this
1: is interesting it's an interesting challenge so the we've had class one hgv drivers now in the teleoperation rig doing the reverse mm. and they're incredibly talented i mean you know bear in mind you you know, when you're in one of these remote workstations, it doesn't feel like you're doing more than driving in a PlayStation environment. Yeah. It's very weird. So, so the only time we, 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 when we do demos, we obviously record and show externally, and then you get a real sense of the fact that you're driving a vehicle. Um, but it's, it's not that easy, but they're very good at it. They're incredibly talented reversing full stop they understand the dynamics of the, of the vehicle so so they've been practicing doing that um in in a real world environment um, and they what i didn't realize was they actually hit the the delivery bay
0: oh yeah on the bumper and yeah
1: it's uh, it's amazing I and mean, they just they hit it pretty hard and I, I know, okay. first I, time you see it
0: nudge isn't it <laughs>
1: nudge well they, and but you can obviously the the cameras shake when that happens so they get a sense of when that happens but you're not feeling you have yeah. to see it so it's a different different um uh... now the other challenge is doing that autonomously and uh you know as i say we've got some really very very smart engineers here um the first simulators, simulations of the, te- of, the of the tech that we built were were a disaster i've got to say you know jackknife a trailer put it through the the <laughs> the truck unit um but eventually we've developed the technology to be able to do that so we can now back the trailer in autonomously um, and it, it yes, you can't see the back of the, the trailer right it doesn't have a center on the trailer yeah um, but what we what, but what we do know we know that we know the the, the the path that that the trailer has to take and we understand the angle between the tractor unit and the trailer so between those two and localizing the tractor unit, um, you can work out the path that needs to tape and therefore the angle of the, tra- uh, of the tractor. So it's, uh, it's complicated, but we've done it um, and it, it's been fascinating to watch the development of that feature. Wow.
0: Yeah. So, so, so you, you, you nearly at a point where you've got that sort of um, complex problem solved and um, yeah, do you think that things like that, you know, because again, in a, in a sort of distribution environment, the those shunter trucks are independent of the trailers. They'll see a hundred different trailers in a day, perhaps. Let alone, you know, so you can't have an instrumentation or or telemetry or anything on the back of the trailer. You've got everything's got to come from the cab. Do you what what sort of sensor suite do you have pointing backwards or or forwards? Uh, what sort of sensors do you have? On, on the system in in you know
1: uh, on yeah on that truck there's um eight cameras, four LIDARs, um some ultrasonics, a couple of radars. Uh I I think for this for this, you know, this period where we're testing doing R and D, there's there's no better data than more data. Yeah. Um you, you want the best opportunity to get the job done uh correctly and over time will reduce the amount of sensors you need on the vehicles. I think you know the 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 dream for us, in some ways, is to take as many sensors off the vehicles as possible, if not all of them. Um, and with, within those, in you know, quite controlled environments where you, you're working within a known uh, area, having having sensors on buildings and, and, and in the environment is certainly a possibility. Yeah. You're going to be very reliant on on real time and absolute communications in the from from that infrastructure to the vehicles. But I think that's that's probably possible for the future. But in, in the meantime. Um, uh, as you say, there's lots of different types of trailer that you're going to be dragging around. So the vehicle vehicle itself is the one that's that's smart. However, I, we did talk to a retailer that, that has a you know, smart trailer program, of course. Um, but there's a few of them that are, are looking at how they can standardize trailers so that they provide more, more data um, and, and provide more safety in their environment. So I, I think over time, you'll see the bigger operators um, start moving to smarter trailers and and we'll certainly be looking at that problem in the the forthcoming year or so.
0: Okay. Do you have to... I presume there's a lot of laser range finding going on, but what do you think of, um, you you know, LiDAR pretty much every autonomous project of a vehicle you see these days has LiDAR on but then um, somewhat controversial um, viewpoint of... of...
1: (laughs) camera
0: only. Yeah. No. Um, certain individual who, you know, knows a thing or two about electric cars, reckons that vision is, um, vision is is good enough and, and the way to go. What do you think of that? I'll tell you why I ask as well. So their kind of big project on electric trucks. So obviously I'm talking about Elon Musk and I'm talking about Tesla. And I always say their truck thing, you know, actually it's not about electric trucks really. It's about applying their autonomous um, knowledge into that market so i i think tesla could have a massive impact in the truck market just by supplying their autonomous um, capabilities sort of self-driving technology to truck makers let alone launching a full electric truck but they, they will do it their way and launch a product and and i think it it has got a good chance of being really really successful um but they they don't use lidar at all um in the, anymore and and Andy, he has his viewpoint of getting to vision only although they they have vision and other sensors at the moment um so you know what do you what do you make of that do you think it'd be possible to get to vision
1: i, I suppose that the the the, the, prop, the slight difficulty that i see at the moment is you know, in no way is the the technology that elon's applying to tesla anywhere near the same as the technology we're applying to the truck mm. um you know it, it's 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 not autonomous in the same way right um, it has features that make it autonomous in certain situations, but we all know that that, that autonomy makes terrible mistakes and absolutely relies on the on the, the safety driver. Yeah,
2: um,
1: yeah. And, you know, and that's a challenge for the whole industry, right? The, the smarter these systems get, the more sophisticated the safety driver has to be. And we, we put a lot of effort into training our safety drivers, a lot. They have to be full systems engineers to an extent, or at least technicians. They have to understand what the system is doing. They have to understand what to do in the event of failure. Um, whereas, you know, a- any ADAS system, when it fails, relies on the efficiency and and, and uh, sensible use of a non-trained safety driver. And that's very, very difficult. And you know, in no way is any Tesla at the moment a, a level 4 vehicle, and even they, they quite happily admit that. Yeah. So I... The difficulty I have with answering that question is, well, he hasn't done it yet. Um, you know, there's there's others in the world that have done it, and they all use lidars, and yeah. they all use lidars because more data is better than less data, and lidars are a much more efficient way of doing that at the moment. And yes, people would argue they're expensive, but they're coming down in price, and certainly, you know, you're going to order a hundred thousand of them. You find a manufacturer that can do that kind of volume, um, they'll come down extremely quickly in price. I was at um, one of our customers uh, who does middle mile um, this last a couple of weeks ago, and they have a solid state long range LIDAR um, that, they, that they use. And um, you know, as solid state becomes more of a thing and comes down in price, why would you not use it? Because there's a good chance that LIDARs may be at some point. You know, as, as as efficient or as cheap as a as a camera. So, you know, I, I, at that point the argument goes away, right? You want more data, and you want different kinds of data, and you want redundant data. Yeah. That, um, yeah. Using different sensors, uh, different sensor types provide. So it's uh
2: yeah.
1: It may not become a conversation anymore. It may be just well, you have them anyway, because they offer redundancy and they offer different different ways of um, of, of measuring things.
0: Yeah, and uh, interesting. Yeah, I, is um. It does seem to be, you know, one of the more out there views that, that you could do yeah. it without. But it'd be, it'd be interesting to see what, what happens there. We um, will. But the, the gathering, I mean, you, you, you're able to capture so much data with LiDAR and your vision system and ultrasonic um, sensors. Um, yeah. So no no radar on yours? Um you're not having to
1: yes there is a there is a radar, oh, yeah. a radar yeah, as well there is, a, there, is, <laughs> okay. there is a radar as well uh yeah load that data in there let's let's just you know make use of what you can um we even has have a angle sensor on the on the back of the, the tractor vehicle that does the sensing of the trailer angle at the moment so you know there are other ways of doing that one for sure um we're just experimenting with the most efficient ways and eventually you have to uh throw the really expensive bits in the bin I guess uh, because because otherwise it's not commercially viable so you're always aiming for the lowest tech version of of, of safe deployment I, I'd say
0: yeah okay so 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 the plan is to get you know within weeks you'll be doing deliveries with that vehicle yep. hopefully around that yep. site yep. what next what 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 happens after that
1: we have to scale up that operation um, be it there or somewhere else. Uh, it's about going from one vehicle to many vehicles, and about making sure they can work in a coordinated manner with each other. Um, and and there's some other really interesting challenges around level four, obviously, and, and safe driver out um, capability uh, and what what safe means. It's not a problem doing the tech. It's uh, what what does safe mean in those environments, um, and and that means an awful lot of testing and an awful lot of thinking about the functional safety side of things uh there's some interesting challenges especially with um, multi-use vehicles so we, we can't imagine that you go completely cabless on a on a truck for the foreseeable future because you're going to have to drive those vehicles in areas that that we haven't um, enabled autonomy to exist in yet um and so you know how do you, how do you know that a vehicle's safe when you approach it for instance an autonomous vehicle how do you know it's not going to move and run over your foot you know these, these things are all interesting uh, challenges um
0: just gonna give it big, and then, big eyes and a smiley
1: face well yeah big eyes and a smiley face yeah. <coughs> uh interesting yes but um, <laughs> there's a solution no. and, and insurance companies are gonna go mm, big eyes and a smiley face yeah, not i sure did actually <laughs> think
0: like one other thing about being cabless because i mean i was being critical of the drivers before and i apologize to anyone out there who might be listening who is a driver i didn't mean it my dad was a truck driver as i used to say But but one of the other sort of reasons why they're built so heavily at the moment is not just because they're designed, you know, assuming the driver's going to hit stuff, but it's more actually in case someone drops a container on top of it uh, so it can't squash the the driver. Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. So that is in in that environment where you've got a driver inside the vehicle. um, The vehicle has to be built in such a way where it is protecting him, you know, and if if someone did drop a container and blah, blah, blah. That he would be protected in it, but if, if you take the driver away from the vehicle, um you, you know again, you can reduce that the requirements for that sort of thing. Uh, so
1: they're only squashing very expensive sensors, compute and everything else that's right
0: <laughs> well yeah exactly, yeah, yeah you know yeah, that's kind yeah. of um, insurance the company would be mad with you, but you know that's a sort of that's all yeah, yeah and and even uh, I wonder in that sort of environment how much you could build into the vehicle. Of, of sort of uh, danger perception so that's that's another sort of thing that that sort of fascinates me with autonomous systems where obviously a, a truck being driven by a driver the driver's got you know one head and two eyes you've got two ears and other senses as well but you you most accidents or incidents occur because something happens that they didn't see um rather than they saw something and ignored it <clears throat> like that example of a container being dropped on top of a truck, well, you know, a driver wouldn't normally be looking up, um, whereas you can have sort of 360 degree um, in uh, in every possible plane, vision or, or perception on an autonomous. Would you, would you build that sort of thing in?
1: Well, I'd, I'd say you actually go beyond that. Um, so p- part of this project uh, at, at, at Nissan is, Having external sensors that will inform the vehicle when things are happening around corners, so you get you know you get far more than just your head and your two eyes and your two ears. Um, and I think that's the uh, and again that's not easy to do because you have to reliably know that that information is coming and when it's not coming, um, you have to have redundant systems even on those kind of sensors. And you have to have extremely fast five G private networks which is the one we're, we're working with up there. Um, but you know I, I think as Absolutely, you know. There's, there's the, the nothing's, nothing's beyond possible. I think, um, uh, to be honest, with as far as that's concerned, and, and and from our perspective, when you start doing external censoring, that's the first time you're moving autonomy to the cloud because if you're relying on those sensors as safety critical devices, i.e., they're redundant and you have to know that when they disappear, the system's not safe. Yeah. Um, you know that's autonomy in the cloud, not uh, version zero point zero zero one. Yeah, I think uh, that um, the development of those kind of external sensor systems uh, that, that won't be available on the road for a long, long time, probably. But in terms of um, you know, off-highway control environments, um, absolutely, it's a it's a necessary and uh, interesting development we're going to do. Well, yeah.
0: It- the, the the idealized model then becomes really things like basically the truck never physically stops does it cuz cuz it you like at a junction you would know what's coming or if when you were approaching a junction if it had a traffic light on it for example the traffic light would communicate with the truck and you would know when it was about to change so actually the truck would 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 approach the junction at the exactly the right speed so it was going to reach the junction when the when the light changed color sort of thing or it was going to get to the point in the road where it didn't have to stop. So it would, it would sort of maybe go more slowly, but in a way where it wasn't going to have to, to break to a complete standstill because it, it you know, it would avoid hitting another truck or something. So that kind of more yep. Yep. interactive system starts to really like get, you know, it actually blows my mind a bit in terms of thinking about all the possibilities for that kind of, A thing and and all the benefits as well because you know if you never never actually have to bring the truck to a complete stop you can you can utilize the road space so much better you know in terms of making things narrowly kind of you know if, if, if a truck's driving along one road and another truck's pulling out at a junction you'd normally come to a complete stop you wait for it to pass but actually if you sort of can modulate the speed of those two trucks and kind of bring one in 30 centimeters behind the other one You'd be moving more slowly, but actually, you would cover the journey much faster. You know, and 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 and. You know, kind of-
1: oh, and there's there's. I mean, the economic benefits of th- those kinds of systems, uh, and the the efficiency benefits of those kinds of systems are just insane. Because if you you know, yes, you're right. Makes for a more efficient system from an operational perspective. Gets goods to people faster, etc. It means less. It means less stock in in warehouses and all of that stuff. That's incredibly important. Um, not coming to a full stop reduces, um, you know, energy consumption. So yeah. you're getting closer to, to energy efficient uh, states. Yeah. And then, you know, if you can, if you can avoid a truck stopping, you can also utilize it more heavily. So you've got asset utilization, which goes to the roof as well. When you, when you put automated systems in place,
2: Yeah.
1: so there's, there's so many economic benefits to this kind of technology. There's, there's no, no doubt at all. We'll get there because we'll, we'll get there because yeah, you know, business will demand it. Um, it's it's how quickly we can get there, which is
0: the Yeah. So I've noticed the time and um, we've <laughs> I've, I've run over, apologies, uh, aiming for, for, for 45 minutes and we've well and truly blown that now. But just one last question, just to sort of think about, oh, I'll put, put a view out there in terms of, you know, look at, looking forwards for you over the next year or two, what are you most excited about that's happening for you?
1: Um, two things. Uh, one is bringing this technology to a state where you can replace, uh, a, a manually driven diesel, um, shunter vehicle with a automated electric shunter vehicle. Um, mm-hmm. you know, there's still a long way to go for sure, but, um, within a couple of years, we can do that. Uh, and the second is starting to work with, um, different collaborators on, on the last mile side of things. Uh, it. it for, for, for us um, that's the bit that really plays to the to the ambition that's always been for mark and I which is that we believe that technologies can you know, are already bringing massive benefits to the lives of people living in cities but the autonomy and the kinds of technology we're developing can can accelerate that even further um, and the last mile is a big part of that I think that you know the, the obvious benefits of, of last mile autonomous delivery, um are environmental their cost benefits their efficiency benefits for businesses as well so that you know that the 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 idea of your you know not going to the shop in your in your massive car and picking up a pint of milk but having that delivered at minimal cost um by a by a machine um is obviously incredibly attractive but so it's also incredibly attractive taking the 25,000 vans that drive down my suburban road every day uh, <laughs> off the roads because oh my god it's, it's it's not sustainable right
0: um
1: so those those two things those two things kicking off the last mile effort and, and um you know getting getting the first mile to commercialization
0: brilliant that's absolutely fantastic thanks mike uh for taking the time out today uh, it's been thank you an absolutely fascinating discussion thank you
1: thank you ryan